Romans chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 6. Uh, while you're there, I will, I will pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And Father, we pray this morning, as we hear your very voice to us today, that you might help us to respond in faith, and you'd help us to respond in praise of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ Good day. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Max, and it's been an absolute pleasure getting to partner with you guys over the last few days, getting to share the good news, hello, the good news of uh, the gospel with the people in this area. And I've now got the privilege to share from God's word, so let's pray together as we start. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you love us. You're in control and you've given us your word, the Bible, so that we can get to know you. We thank you for that. I ask now that my words will fall short and that your words will remain in our hearts and in our minds and that you'll give us all wisdom as we seek to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We all love a bold prediction. Isn't it exciting when the options are presented and someone just takes a stab at what the outcome will be? Will they be right or will they be wildly wrong? Paul the octopus made some very bold predictions. I hope you've had the pleasure of hearing about Paul the octopus and his bold predictions before. If you haven't, allow me to read a brief excerpt for you. Paul the octopus was a common octopus used to predict the results of international association football matches. His accurate predictions in the 2010 FIFA World Cup brought him worldwide attention as an animal oracle. It's a hilarious prospect, isn't it? How did the predictions work? I hear you ask. Let's read on. During divinations, Paul's keepers would present him with two food-containing boxes decorated with the flags of the teams in an upcoming match. Whichever box Paul ate from first was considered his prediction for which team would win the match. <laughs> it's a hilarious idea. Don't we all love a bold prediction? But it would be far more hilarious, wouldn't it, if Paul the octopus was actually good at predicting the outcome. 
Well, was he? Let's find out. Let's have a look at his track record. In all, Paul amassed an overall record of 12 correct predictions out of 14. Yeah, 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 right, make some noise. It's impressive, right? A success rate of approximately 85.7%. We all love a bold prediction, but it's so much better when that bold prediction comes true. But I think there's something better than a bold prediction, and that's a bold promise. A bold prediction is someone saying they think something might happen, a bold promise is someone saying that something will happen and they're going to make sure that it gets brought about. I'm sure you might have heard of Muhammad Ali, who's considered to be one of the best and most famous boxers of all time. He was a bold man. And before one of his fights in 1962, he made this bold promise. He told his fans, don't block the aisle and don't block the door you will all go home after round four. And true to his word, Ali knocked down his opponent three times in the fourth round and won by a technical knockout. When an octopus makes a correct prediction about two sporting teams, it is impressive, but a bold promise that you will have sure victory over your opponent and you do claim that victory now that is far greater. In the passage that we're looking at today, we will see the outcome of a bold promise that God made. The promise is concerning a battle that Jesus went into. And what I hope we will all know by the end of this is that the result of the battle is that Jesus is God's son and is in power. And this means we all need to recognize him as Lord. I'll say that again. This is the result of the battle. Jesus is God's son and is in power. And this means we all need to recognize him as Lord. And as we're going to see, the implications of this result will not just affect your Sunday afternoon or tomorrow or this coming week. The results of this battle will affect our entire lives. And beyond that, Eternity, the outcome of this promise that God made will shape your life. The stakes are high, but it's good news. So let's have a look at the setup for this promise and for this battle. Come with me to Romans chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, keep it open. I believe it was on page 1131, and we'll be working through it. So keep your Bibles open. Let's start with verse 1. Paul, the author. Who is Paul? Well, he's not an octopus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, who were the apostles? Well, the apostles were made up of Jesus' disciples and Paul. They all witnessed Jesus and were appointed by Jesus to, to share. Well, what, what were they set apart for? What was their job? Well, let's keep reading. So Paul's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is what they share. This is what they proclaim. This is what Paul is set apart for. I'm sure many of you have heard the word gospel before. It means good news. But what is the content of this good news? What is Paul proclaiming? 
Well, let's read on. What is this gospel concerning? Verse 2, let's look at verse 2. The gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning, what's it concerning? Verse 3, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, we've just learned two huge features about this gospel. It's concerning a man. The first thing we learn, verse 3, it's God's son. The second is that he's a descendant from David. Now, it's pretty obvious why being the son of God is an impressive feat. That would be pretty cool. It's quite the flex to be the, the son of God. But to be the descendant of David, what, what, so why is that worth mentioning? You may have heard of King David before. This is the individual that's being talked about in Romans here. King David was one of Israelites' kings, one of the best of Israelites' kings of the Old Testament, if not the best. And so there's some obvious things we can glean from this man being a descendant from David. Of course, that means he's got real blood in his family. He's of the kingly rulership line. Is there any more to it than that? Well, I believe there is. Turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 4. I know, plot twist, second Bible reading. Come with me to 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 4. I think it's on page 311. Um, check that out. And we'll be there for a little bit, so it's worth turning there. And keep your finger in the book of Romans, because we'll come back to that. 2 Samuel, chapter 7, page 311. And we'll see what is so significant about this man of the gospel being a descendant from David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's start at verse 4. Read with me. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. And what follows here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a series of promises that God makes to David. And they are very, very bold promises. And I want to focus on one in particular. Come with me down to verse 12, little number 12. This is the promise, the bold promise that God makes to David, one of them. Let's read it. When your days are fulfilled, this is God speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And let's jump down to verse 16. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, I hope you noticed the repeating word that we saw, I think it was three times in that passage, forever. Forever is a long time. And if we look back at verse 13, have a look at that with me. It says, he shall build, this is this descendant of David, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, I hope it's obvious for you here just how far-fetched this promise that God is making is. No king 
No ruler can be on the throne forever because of, well, death. It's the ultimate obstacle to any forever king, to any forever ruler. No descendant of David could possibly fulfill this promise. Now, it's important to note here that David's direct son who ruled, his, who ruled after him, Solomon, did fulfill some of the promises we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He did build a house for the Lord by building the temple. And whilst he reigned, God did accomplish some of the things that he promises here, but Solomon still died. And so did the king who was after him and the one after him and all of Israel's kings, all of David's descendants, they all died. No matter how good or bad they were, no king, no ruler can defeat the ultimate enemy of death. And Israel's kingdom is no more. By the time that we're reading in the book of Romans, the era of Israel's kings is long over. It's like earlier this year, I had a friend's wedding and just before I was able to go, I got COVID. I'm sure you've all experienced a similar situation. Nothing I could do about that. It's just an obstacle that cannot be overcome. I wasn't able to attend. These kings can't become the forever king because of the unbeatable obstacle of death. So if this promise for a forever king isn't any of the kings of Israel, can we learn anything else about this bold promise that God's making of who this man is? I think we can. Come with me to verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 together. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, I hope this is ringing alarm bells in the back of your head. Do you remember the two things we learnt about the gospel from Romans? Two factors. was one, that they're a descendant from David, but also this man is a son of God. This is what the gospel is about. And so here we have the same individual that we've just looked at in Romans 1. This is our pre-boxing match moment. God has made the promise that this descendant of David, this son of God, to be a forever king, will defeat death. And the result of him defeating death is that he'll be this forever king. But no human king has overcome this opponent before. How on earth will God make sure that this man sees victory? Well, when the Bible presents a problem, it often has the solution. It always has the solution as well. Come with me back to Romans chapter 1. Let's flick back there to Romans chapter 1. The battle lines are set. We've got God's champion. God's made his bold promise. Come with me to verse 3. Let's meet this bold champion, this champion, again, who's about to go into battle. Verse 3, the gospel is concerning God's son, his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And what was the outcome of this battle? Verse 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Do you see it? Do you see how the battle was won? Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 
This is a declaration. Verse 4, this declares him to be the Son of God in power. The outcome of the battle, as we looked at before, is that Jesus is God's Son and is in power. And this means we all need to recognize him as Lord. Have a look at what the result of this resurrection is. The end of verse 4, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is who this man is. He's Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Sit in that truth. This is what the gospel of God is concerning. This is what Paul is proclaiming. This is what it's all about. Now, I'm sure for those who supported Muhammad Ali, when they saw him win any battle, particularly that battle in 1962, it would have been a great feeling, right? When your champion wins, now that's a special feeling. I'm not sure if you've been following the soccer in the recent World Cup. Oh, rest in peace, Australia by now. But they did have a few victories. And when they did, sorry, that might have been a soft spot. Sorry to to bring it up. Um, When they did win, we win too. We support them, and when they win, that is our victory. I'm sure you've experienced that with maybe you have a friend or a family. When they take on a challenge, when they win, that's your victory as well. We share in that victory with him. That's the same with Jesus. By his resurrection from the dead, those who are on his side, on the winning side of this battle, we can share in that victory we too can be raised from the dead. The Bible promises this. That we too don't have to fear the opponent of death. We too can be on the winning side. It's good news. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be on the winning side? What does someone who is on the winning side, someone who has Jesus as their Lord, what does it look like to live like that? And How do you get on the winning side? How do you become someone who has Jesus as their Lord? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 5. Come with me to verse 5. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. As we heard before, Paul is an apostle. But what's he trying to bring about by the sharing of the gospel? What's the result of this truth? Verse 5. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of of faith the obedience of faith what does that mean well my best understanding of what the obedience of faith means is that it's having faith that god's way that jesus's way is the best way and so living in obedience to him i think a great example of this is jesus when he was going to die on the cross He had faith that God's plan was the best plan. And he knew that God had this plan, this bold promise for a forever king who would conquer death. Jesus had faith that God's plan was the best plan. And so was obedient to him. He went to the cross and sure enough, he was established as the forever king. I wonder what that looks like for you. If you're someone who is 
someone who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, someone who Jesus is your Lord for, I wonder what it looks like to be obedient to him. I wonder if it looks like loving others when you're tired or being patient with your co-workers or friends or family members or not insisting on your own way but listening to others and what they want and what they need. I list those specific things because that's what I'm working on at the moment. That's what I fail to do. I'm so thankful that God is a forgiving God. And so that's what it looks like to be on Jesus' side, to have faith that his way, that Jesus' way is the best way and so live in obedience to him. But is this just a one-way relationship? Is it just us and Jesus? Is there any external view? Is are other people included in this? Great question. Let's keep reading. I believe there is. Verse 5. So it's to bring about, this gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith. For what sake? For the sake of his name among all the nations. Do you see it there? Having Jesus as your Lord is not exclusive to those who already have him as their Lord. We see an example of this in verse 6. This letter is written to the Romans, verse 6, including you, the Romans, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. All people, all nations can have Jesus as their Lord. They can have faith in him and be locked in on the winning side. I mentioned at the start of this talk that the truth of Jesus' lordship is going to affect your entire life. And beyond that, your entire eternity. The outcome of this promise that God's made does shape our lives. I hope you've seen that. The stakes are high. But it is awesome news. This isn't an exclusive winning side we too can have hope to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus is God's son and is in power. And this means we all need to recognize him as Lord. And we can do that on his side or not. Praise God that we have the option to be on the winning team. How about I pray that we might live out as people who are on the winning team Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you make bold promises. We thank you that your bold promise about Jesus, Lord, you saw it to fruition. Jesus did die but was resurrected from the dead. He beat death. And we praise you that we too can have victory over death by what Jesus has done, by being on the winning side. He won the battle. And Lord, we pray that for those who do have Jesus as their Lord, please help us to live that out as people who have faith that your way is the best way and so be obedient to him. We pray all these things in Jesus' very powerful name. Amen.